there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! So to open up this morning, I'm going to go ahead and just tell you right out of the gate. I am going to tell a joke, and it is not a funny joke. It is a terrible, terrible joke. I mean, it is bad, really, really bad, but I'm going to tell it anyway. So uh, these, two, <laughs> these two sardines are swimming, uh, and they find themselves at the bottom of the ocean. So here they are swimming on the bottom of the ocean, and all of a sudden a submarine uh, comes overhead to which one sardine looks up and says, heavens to Betsy, what in the world is that? And he's so afraid. And the other sardine says, oh, don't worry about it. It's just a can of people. (laughs) Yeah, I told you it was bad. (laughs) Oh, yeah. All right. It's going to be a fun morning. Um, This morning, as we continue with our series, The Heart of the Savior, uh, we are literally going to watch Jesus feed thousands of people with a can of sardines and a loaf of bread. So uh, if you are able, uh, I'm going to ask for you to stand, and I want to read this passage of Scripture and then pray over it. So if you're able to stand, if you're not, that's okay. Uh, we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 8, and we're going to be reading about Jesus feeding thousands of people, but it's not the 5,000 that many of us are familiar with. It's a different group of people. So here we go. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he, Jesus, called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. And remember, this is the whole ethos of the entire series, the compassion of Jesus. I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me for three days and have had nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered, <clears throat> answered him, How can one feed these people with bread in this desolate place? And he asked them, Well, how many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. He directed the crowd to sit on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, having given thanks. He broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, just pause right there, that Greek word for few small fish, it's like a sardine. These are small little fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. There were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. Pray with me. Father, uh, I pray that we would see our abundant need for you. Lord, That this world offers us some rancid things to feast on, things that aren't good for us, that aren't good for our souls. And we're all spiritually hungry. So I pray that we would be fed this morning through your word, through your spirit, and through the fellowship of the saints. We love you. We honor you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Okay, so right out of the gate, before we start to break down this text, I I want us to remember something 
very, very important. All of us are hungry. Our souls are longing for something different. Uh, there's just not anything this world can offer that's going to fill us up. Jesus called himself the bread of life, and he told, told us that in him we could have our fill. We wouldn't be hungry. And so in, in the text that I just read you, we're going to walk back through it. I want you to see into the heart of Jesus. Now, this is known as the feeding of the 4,000. Many of you are probably familiar with the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000 happened early on in Jesus' ministry to where the feeding of the 4,000 happened um, a few chapters later, a, a few months or years later in the ministry of Jesus. But the motivation for both events were the same, right? He sees thousands of hungry people and he wants to satisfy their hunger. And I think there's a metaphor in there for us. We were at one point spiritually starving to death and Jesus in his compassion, satisfied that hunger. And so what I want to do is I want to go back through the text, and I want you to take note of three things. I'm actually going to use an outline adapted from David McClure. But these are the three things I want you to notice in this text. The compassion of Jesus, the provision of Jesus, and the satisfaction of Jesus. So let's talk, first of all, about the compassion of Jesus. We'll pick back up in verse 1 of the text. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me for three days and have had nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way and some have come from far away. Now, here's what's interesting. In this text, in verse 2 specifically, Jesus expresses his feelings. He tells us how he feels. Other times in the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, via commentary of the gospel writer themselves, they'll tell you how Jesus feels. So it'll read like this. Jesus saw the crowd and he had compassion for them. Or Jesus saw the sick woman and had compassion in his heart for her. But in this text, these, these aren't the words of the writer. These, this is a direct quote from Jesus. In fact, this is the only time in Scripture where Jesus expresses his feelings, his emotional state. He says, I have compassion on them. And if you've been here for the duration of the series, the word compassion in the Bible and the Greek when, it, when it's talking about Jesus is the word that refers to an inward feeling, a gut feeling. So from the inside. So Jesus literally is saying, I feel for these people. They haven't eaten in three days. They're hungry. Now, if you remember the story of the 5,000 that Jesus fed, they had only gone one day without food. This crowd had gone three days. And so Jesus, full of compassion, says, hey, these people need nourishment. Jesus is not going to leave them hungry. Now, if you just gloss over this, we might miss something. I think there's something fascinating to me about this story. And what's fascinating is the location. Um, if we have a few real estate agents here uh, in our church. And if you were to ask a, a, per, a real estate agent, uh, what, what are the three most important things when you're trying to sell a house? They're all going to tell you the same thing. Location, location, location. I mean, you, lo, you cannot buy, lo, I mean, location is so important to people. Well, in this text, that's what's important. Location, location, location. 
I want to back up to chapter 7, okay, because this tells us where Jesus is geographically. And this is super important. 731 of, of, of Mark. Then he, Jesus, returned to the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee. Don't miss this. In the region of the Decapolis. Now, you might say, whoop-de-doo. I, I have no idea where that region is. What I want you to understand and what I want to point out is that Jesus was well beyond the Jewish world. And he had gone into Gentile territory. I'm sure there were some Jews there among him. But the, by and large, the crowd that Jesus was addressing, this wasn't a good church-going crowd. These were idol worshipers and pagans, and they'd heard that Jesus was coming into town, so they went to a desolate place to listen to him. It's upon these people that Jesus had compassion. Hear me, people outside of the Jewish faith, people who didn't go to synagogue, people outside of the church, people who needed compassion the most. These are people who might otherwise never, ever, ever step into a church. So Jesus went to them. And I think this is a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be. The, the church is supposed to explode outside of these walls. <clears throat> In the south side of Chicago on May 16, 1998, a young man named Christopher Searcy was playing basketball uh, with a couple of his friends uh, when, a, when a, a car full of gang members just drove by and opened fire for no reason, uh, uh, hitting Cersei twice. His friends didn't know what to do, so they grabbed him, and they just started running to the hospital. And it was over a half a mile away. And, and they, they finally got him to the Ravenwood Hospital about 100 yards outside of the hospital, and they set him down, and they both went running in and said, hey, our friend's been shot. We, we need some help. The hospital staff refused to help Christopher, saying that it was against the hospital's policy to administer aid to those who were outside of the hospital. In other words, you had to come inside of the hospital. So they ran out and they found a police officer. And the police officer went in and asked for a stretcher. And they said, no, you can't take a stretcher out of the hospital. And so the police officer went out and, and happened to find somebody who had a wheelchair in their car, got Christopher, gathered him up, put him in the wheelchair, and then wheeled him into the hospital and then and only then, the nurses and the doctors started to work on Chris, but it was too late. He bled to death. You know, many times it seems that churches are surrounded by people that desperately need to hear the gospel. Yet many times we as Christians are content to share it only if those people manage to come inside of our church. Friends, we've got to look around. Jesus gives us his compassion to give to other people. In the text itself, if you remember, Jesus broke the bread, gave each a piece to each of his disciples. The disciples had the bread in their hand, and when they began to feed the crowd, that's when the bread multiplied. This is a picture of Jesus giving us compassion as the church. Here's compassion, not just your compassion, but here's my compassion. You possess it, and it's our job to go outside of the church and hand out compassion to those around us. But notice, it's his compassion, not ours, because our compassion gets in the way, right? Our compassion says, well, I ain't giving that guy no money. He's just going to buy booze. 
But Jesus' compassion says, listen, whenever I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And so we relinquish that responsibility and we just do what Jesus says. We distribute his compassion everywhere. Now listen, sometimes we blow it. And I blew it on Friday, man. I found myself Friday in Bremen, Georgia. And I went to this little, I had my two sons, two of my sons with me, Calvin, who's 13, and Deacon, who is 11. And we were on our way to the little deer property, little deer club we belong to. So we stopped to get lunch at a restaurant, a restaurant called Jack's. You got burgers and shakes. And so we were in Jack's eating. And while we were eating, this, this man came in, and he looked a little weathered, a little haggard, and he just, we saw him walk in. He goes up to the counter, and he asks for a, a cup of water. And so the lady's real nice. She hands him a cup, and he goes and gets the water, and he walks out. And my 13-year-old's like, Dad, can, can you just walk into any restaurant, and you can get a free cup of water? I'm like, yeah, I think so. Uh, at least today you can. I don't know about tomorrow. They might, they might charge you, but yeah. And so we didn't think anything else about it. We finished eating got in the car, and we were rounding the restaurant to leave the parking lot, and there on the corner was that man. And you've seen men and women like that all over the place, and they had a sign, right? We'll work for food, or I need help. And so we're getting ready to, to approach him, and I'm like, all right, I, I always like to give something to those guys and gals, you know, and I don't, I don't what they do with it is what they do with it, right? That's, Jesus just said give. So, so I'm digging around. I don't carry cash. I found 27 cents. I found a quarter and two pennies. And I had it, and I was about to put it in my son's hand. And then for whatever reason, my, I guess my own flesh got in the way. I said, nah. I was like, this will be an insult to him. You can't buy anything for 27 cents. Now nah, we're just going to go on. And so we just rode right by him, went and did our thing. What well, was yesterday, man, in the shower, it's like the Holy Spirit just like slapped me across the face. And I, and I, be, I began to realize, man, I, I made an error as a father there. Because hear me, I, I just taught my two sons, not by what I say, but by my actions. That's what they see more, right? I just taught my two sons that it only matters if you give big gifts. Like, this insignificant 27 cents, that doesn't matter. You're not going to be able to do anything for the Lord or help. You've got to give big chunks. And that 27 cents didn't mean anything. Now, that's the opposite, right, of the widow's mite. She had a penny, all right, and she gave it. And the Lord was just so excited about it. The only thing I had in my possession was 27 cents. And I could have given it all away, but I didn't. And the second thing... And you may think I'm hyperbolic here, but I believe I missed an opportunity to plant a seed of compassion, right? I, I could have said, look, sir, man, all I got is 27 cents. Here you go. I'd be happy to swing through the drive-thru, buy you something to eat. What's your name? Can I pray for you? God bless you. And driven away. And that could have planted a seed in him that somebody came along later and watered and somebody else came along and watered. And for 27 cents. It could have led this man to the riches of God. You see, we've got to be compassionate. Just like the apostles. Jesus says, here's, these people are hungry. They're starving to death. Now go do something about it. 
the compassion of Jesus. Secondly, I want you to see the provision of Jesus. Look at verse 4. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Now, this is outstanding to me. You want to say to yourself, have they already forgotten what happened a couple chapters ago with the feeding of 5,000? I mean, apparently they have. And here's what's crazy. Here in this event, there are fewer people, and there are actually two more loaves of bread than there were at the feeding of the 5,000. Yet the disciples still wonder, how are we going to feed all these people? You just want to scream, are you dense? You're a bunch of knuckleheads, right? They only can see impossibility, not opportunity. And aren't we just like that, though? We can criticize the apostles and the disciples, but don't we often forget the past provision of God? Like we factor God out of so many equations and so many of our problems, even when he's made himself apparent through our life, even though he's rescued us time and time again from our sin, even though he's rescued us and bailed us out. When faced with difficulty, it's often hard to realize that God will provide for you. That's because we're not thinking about what Jesus can do. We're just thinking about the problem. Look what happens in verse 5. He asked them, how many loaves do you have? And I can imagine Jesus is kind of like, uh, going through this again. He's of little faith. How many loaves do you have? Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down. And he gave out the seven loaves, gave it to the disciples to set before the people. Verse 7, they had a few small fish. Having blessed them, he said, that these also should be set before them. He, he provided for them right there. And I think we need to sometimes stop and pause and look back on our lives and look back on those storms and, and, and connect the dots and see, man, here's where I prayed for provision and I didn't see it coming from here, but it all of a sudden came from here. That's a God thing. I mean, I, I could look back on my life and I can see it over and over and over and over again, right? Like you somehow get a $900 check in the mail that you weren't expecting, and the next thing you know, your, your, your air conditioner or your dishwasher goes out, and it costs $900 all of a sudden, right? We could sit here and tell stories like that about how God does provide. I think the, the, probably the greatest story of God's provision happened to me, and it wasn't a big provision. It was a really small provision when I was 21. I was in college. And then Bible college, and I was, I mean, I was poorer than poor. I mean, I, I couldn't even afford ramen noodles. I was so, so broke. And at our school, if you lived in the dorm, you could eat at the cafeteria Monday through Friday, but Saturday and Sunday, it was closed. And so I'll never forget, man, I didn't, I didn't eat all day Saturday. Sunday, I didn't eat all day. And I had this little security job at this little college, little community college, and it had a civic center, and I was doing parking, right? And so I'm parking the cars, and I haven't eaten for two days. My stomach, I am just starving, and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to go back to my dorm, and maybe I can beg someone for a can of tuna or something. I am starving. And so it's towards like the, you know, the, the, one of the last few cars that came through to, to park. This, this big old redneck in a big old truck he stops by, and he's like, hey, man. And I say, hey, what's up? He's like, you can park over here. He said, I just went through McDonald's, and, and I ordered a Big Mac, and they gave me two. You want one? I was like, yes! Right? And put that thing in my car, and I was like, when I get back here, and man, like, I mean, I inhaled that thing. It's just simply 
you can call it coincidence, but it's God providing. Friends, the Lord always provides. Never see an obstacle, see an opportunity for Lord's provision. So you've got the compassion of Jesus, the provision of Jesus, and then finally, the satisfaction of Jesus. Look at verse 8. And they ate, and it doesn't say they were full, does it? It says they were satisfied. Friends, there is nothing more satisfying than the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. They were satisfied. And he took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. There were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. I've been following Jesus here for about 30 years now. And one thing I've always found out is that Jesus doesn't just satisfy the Jews. He satisfies all people, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. But he doesn't, he doesn't just satisfy. He more than satisfies. At verse 8, it says, they took up the broken pieces left over. There were seven baskets full. These weren't to-go boxes, by the way. The word for baskets means big baskets. Uh, in Acts chapter 9, remember when Paul was lowered? He was about to be killed, so they lowered him out in a basket. These are man-sized baskets. There are seven of them. Now, I, I just bring this up in passing. If you go back to the feeding of the of the 5,000. This was a Jewish crowd, right? So he feeds the 5,000. How many baskets were left over when he fed the 5,000? Anyone know? 12. 12 baskets full. How many tribes of Israel are there? 12. So here, he's in Decapolis. He's in a Gentile crowd. He feeds them. How many baskets are left over with, with, with this one? 7,000. 7,000. I believe it represents the seven tribes of Canaan which all Gentiles come from. It's 12 and 7. I just mentioned that. I think there's, it's not a coincidence, those numbers there. Because Jesus always abundantly satisfies. I love what Jer Jarrett Wilson says about this. He says this, quote, I need to take a breath, drink some water. <clears throat> he says this, quote, we are not marginally satisfied, steadying the rumble in our tummies, but joyfully full. In Christ, we are eternally satisfied, abundantly satisfied, mightily satisfied. And because the miracles are not ends in themselves, but signs pointing to Jesus himself, we are reminded here that we are not merely saved, but eternally saved, abundantly saved, and mightily saved. You see, end of quote, when Jesus provides, he gives us more than we're expecting. When you come to Jesus for forgiveness and just expect him to wipe your, your little slate clean, he doesn't do that. He gives us more than that. He gives us his slate, his righteousness, which is full and it's perfect. When we come to Jesus for peace, uh, we, we expect a little relief and anxiety, but Jesus gives us more than that. He gives us peace that transcends all understanding and guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When we come to Jesus for spiritual strength, when we feel weak, we expect a mild little five-hour energy, just a little pick-me-up, but Jesus does more than that. He he gives us 
far more abundantly than all that we could ask for or all that we think. Whatever we need in Jesus Christ, he overprovides. He totally and fully satisfies. That's why he said this with confidence in John 6, 35. And no other human being on earth could ever say this. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not be hungry. In other words, you will be satisfied. We live in a dissatisfied culture, though, don't we? Reminds me of a story I heard of a man who moved to a new town called Hiram, Georgia. And he went to a restaurant, to a local restaurant for dinner. And the waiter there did all he could to please this man, but he complained that he'd only received one piece of bread. And so the waiter promptly bought him four pieces of bread. And the man said, well, that's good, but that's just not enough. I love bread. So he left and left the, the waiter a sizable tip. The next night he came back, and the waiter's like, oh, that's that guy again. So he brought him six slices of bread with his supper. And the man said, well, that's good, but I still think you're being a little stingy. The next night, came back, and the waiter said, all right. So he brought him a whole basket of bread, but he still complained. Well, finally, after the fourth night, the owner had had enough. And so being a bit mischievous, he baked one huge loaf of bread that was six foot long and three foot wide. It took the manager and two waiters to carry it to the table. And they plopped that thing down on the table, and they just kind of stood back and smiled, waiting for the man's reaction. And the customer looked at the gigantic loaf of bread and looked back at them, and he said, So, I guess we're back to only one piece again, aren't we? <laughs> There are a lot of dissatisfied people. It's because they're finding the nourishment on the wrong things. Let me ask you a question. Are you satisfied with your life? Friends, I'm here to tell you Jesus is the bread of life. There is only one ultimate eternal source of satisfaction, and it's God himself. And Jesus Christ made that possible so that he could satisfy our souls. He wants to give us eternal, abundant, godly satisfaction. I think the deepest meaning of this miracle is not the fact that Jesus multiplied bread and fish, but the deepest meaning of this miracle is that Jesus is the bread of life, and in him we have satisfaction. We have security. We keep Jesus with us. Charles Allen used to tell a touching story of uh, the days of World War II, particularly in London when, the, uh, when London was being bombed. <clears throat> and the Allied armies would gather up orphans whose parents were killed in these bombings, and they would take them to orphanages. And uh, uh, these orphanages were crammed full of, of, of these kids who, whose parents just died. And you can imagine uh, there was trauma. They had trouble sleeping. Uh, they seemed very nervous at night. And they, you know, they just couldn't sleep through the night. Well, finally, a psychologist of all people came up with, with a solution. Each child, before they went to bed, was given a small, fresh, baked loaf of bread. And they were told, hey, you can't eat this. You just hold on to it tonight. Sleep with it. And here's what's crazy. That, that piece of bread produced wonderful results. The children went to bed knowing instinctively that they would have food to eat the next day. 
That guarantee gave the child a restful and continued sleep. Friends, we have the guarantee of Jesus himself that if we submit our lives to him, he will satisfy our hunger, he will quench our thirst, he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, and that should bring us peace that transcends all understanding. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.